Uh, let's, let's open with a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get going today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather around your word this morning. And we just pray that you would be with us in this time that we study this uh, wonderful book of Proverbs. And we just pray that your word, that we would be sanctified in the truth of your word this morning and that you, that we would come away from this study knowing you better, appreciating you more, and ready to serve you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. If you'll remember, we are in Proverbs chapter 3 as we are making our way through this wonderful book of uh, the Old Testament. And the title of our study is How to Act Like a Christian, because these things apply directly to you and to me. Uh, These are upwards of 3,000 years ago that these Proverbs were written, and you, I, I don't do it enough, but you ought to get in the habit of reading one of these every day. There's 31 of them. It's perfect. Uh, you can read through the whole book in a month. You read one every day, and you just, I, it does something for me. It, it is a, it's a great encouragement as you read these, because it's so practical for our daily lives, and particularly Proverbs chapter 3, is the most practical portion of the most practical book of the Bible, that we can literally open up the book of Proverbs to anywhere in there, read one of these, and take something away from it. It's not like uh, the book of Isaiah or something. You read a random chapter of Isaiah, and well, you might you might be a little lost if you don't pay attention to what where you are in the book and these kinds of things. Proverbs, Psalms are not like that. They're just uh, wonderful, wonderful words of, of wisdom and encouragement and help us in our Christian life today. So if you'll remember, Proverbs chapter 3 is easily broken into 10 segments that are really sermons in and of themselves. This is, this is kind of just a brief overview of these topics, uh, but nevertheless, very, very important for us. And so we have today, it will, uh, we're 10 keys for the Christian life or 10 keys for contentment is what we're calling it, how to live for the Lord. Uh, and today we'll get to Another emphasis that we see throughout the book of Proverbs, but is obviously then therefore very important, don't trust yourself or your money are the two topics for this week if we make it that far. Ten keys for contentment so far. We've seen internalize God's word. You've got to read it, study it, understand it for being the word of God and internalize it. It's not just academic study of God's Word. It's uh, making it a part of who you are, internalizing it in your heart, and through that process, creating a desire to follow the Lord and follow His instructions for us. And then uh, last time, 
We saw trust in the Lord. We uh, realize, of course, from the book of Hebrews and in various places in the scriptures that it is impossible to please the Lord without trusting in him. That, that is foundational to the Christian life. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Uh, we studied that last time. So this time uh, we have have no confidence in yourself. And those kind of go hand in hand, this idea of trusting in the Lord and having no confidence in yourself. The, the two are just uh, hand in glove, if you will. And, and so let's take a look at Proverbs 3 and verse 7 goes on to say, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So if you want to live for the Lord or have contentment in your life as a believer, you need to understand who you are and who the Lord is. This Again, we, we're seeing these concepts being repeated, this idea of fearing the Lord as being foundational to the book of Proverbs. And uh, when we see these concepts repeated, we shouldn't just say, oh, I already know this. We, <laughs> we ought to realize that, no, the Lord is trying to tell us something. And so if as far as contentment or living for the Lord goes, having no confidence in yourself is something that is throughout the scriptures and that the Lord is trying to, trying to get across to us. He is different than we are. He is our creator. We are his creature. This is what is really foundational to to an atheistic or humanistic kind of worldview. And really, every, every system of thought that isn't biblical Christianity doesn't properly understand this distinction between the creator and the creature. The creator-creation distinction. Very important for us to understand that God isn't in the chair over there and he's not in the tree that's not that's pantheism and these kinds of eastern religion ideas that are foreign to the scriptures and foreign to reality this is reality when jesus says i am the way the truth and the life and that god's word is the truth Truth is reality. This is the reality. That's why having a biblical worldview and a biblical understanding of what is going on in this world is so vital for us as humans, as people, to find contentment in this world, to find contentment in a world that is absolutely opposed to everything that you and I think like we saw this morning. That is the direction of the world, and our direction needs to be completely the opposite of that. That's why we, that's why we are studying these things. And so one of the major problems of these people 
that are headed off over here completely away from God is that they have every confidence in themselves and every confidence in human thought and human experience. That's what, what we're speaking of when we mention empiricism and uh, rationalism and these kinds of ways of thinking. That is confidence in humans. That's humanism. That's not biblical Christianity in any way, shape, or form. That's not, that's not living in reality. We as humans do not have all the answers. Even Adam, first person created, if we believe the biblical account as we should, Adam is the first person to live on this planet, a direct creation of God himself. And he needed God's word. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, Adam could have had no idea that he should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil unless God told him. That, that is direct revelation. That's the word of God going to a person that is the truth and they incorporate it into their lives. If Adam would have incorporated God's word, internalized God's word to him, it would have had an effect on his actions. I don't know how it all played out in the garden, why, why Satan went to Eve and tempted her to eat from the tree and she in turn gets Adam. I don't know how all that played out because the Bible doesn't tell me how it all played out. But one thing I do know is that Adam is the one who was responsible for the whole downfall. That's New Testament truth right from Paul. Uh, and so some, somewhere in there, Adam did not internalize God's word and make it a part of who he is so much that he would teach Eve to not eat from that tree. And here we go. <laughs> that downhill from there. Adam needed God's word. He needed to internalize God's word. Furthermore, we are conceived in sin. Solomon's, Solomon, the author of this proverb, his father wrote that, Psalm 51, 5. Uh, it is a part of who we are. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, I am so encouraged to see young people in church with their little kids, and they are absolutely wonderful. I love them, could just squeeze the life out of every one of them, but their heart is deceitful and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why they do things like uh, you put the food in front of them, they look at you, they look at the dog, and they throw it on the floor. That, that's why they're doing that, because they're little sinners, even though it's cute. But unfortunately, <laughs> that is an indication that, that their heart is, needs the Lord. And so when, when our kids are doing those kinds of things, it ought to encourage us to remember when they get older and they can understand things, to tell them about the Lord and how they need to be saved because of their sin. And so we need to fear God, according to this passage, Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When we properly fear the Lord, which if you'll remember, that's, that's this process of knowing who you are, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that God is your holy, righteous creator, and you, stand, you will stand before him in judgment one day, and you understand that relationship, that is fearing the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, you will hate evil. You will turn away from evil. And one of the things that the Lord hates is pride. See how these things go together? Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. What is being wise in your own eyes? That's pride. And the Lord hates that. It's one of the seven things that he hates. And so how can we handle that kind of situation? How can we deal with that? Because uh, we all, I think pride is something that we all struggle with, even if we're uh, humble on the outside or that, these kinds of things. Some people, it's more obvious than others. Wow, that guy, he's, he's really proud of himself, isn't he? And the, and the other person who is more reserved or more shy or whatever, they could be internally thinking, well, I don't want to make a big spectacle of myself or I don't want to say that because that person might think something bad about me. Well, what is that? That's pride. You don't want that person to think something bad of you. Uh, It could be, at any rate, at its root, is pride. And so we... Just because a person has a different person or there's different personalities doesn't mean that people aren't struggling with sin in their lives. You just have to be uh, careful. So how can we deal with that? We can love one another. We can serve one another in humility. Romans 12, 9 through 16 uh, is, a, is a wonderful place to go to see how, you can, how we ought to be acting in the church. And the book of Romans is one of, the, one of the most amazing pieces of literature, let alone books of the Bible, for the, the logic of the way that it's laid out for us. We're all sinners. How can we be saved? How can we live for the Lord? Uh, what about Israel? Romans 9, 10, and 11. If all these things are true for us as Christians, well, what about all the promises God made to Israel, Paul basically says, oh, don't worry about that. He's going he's gonna to fulfill all his promises. So because our God is so great, he saves us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He wants us to live for him. He gives us every resource that we need to do it. He's going to keep his promises to Israel. How then should we live? How should we internalize these things, make them a part of who we are, and live them out? Good question. Romans 12 through 16. Step one, Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Do, do we need some of this in 2023 coming up here next week? Yes, we do. Uh, 
or two weeks. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. It seems like Paul might have been doing his Bible study in Proverbs 3 when he was right before he was writing uh, Romans chapter 12. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Serve other people, essentially. Love one another. Serve one another. Don't think too highly of yourself if you want to internalize these truths and live them out in your life. That's a a perfect uh, place in the Bible to go to see how this looks in reality. Romans chapter 12. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Serve one another and abstain from wickedness. That's fearing God and hating evil. And oh, by the way, doing this is physically good for you, according to this passage. Proverbs 3.8, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It is physically good for you. Uh, the, the stress of sin in your life, it is physically debilitating to you. You may have the feeling initially that, oh, I got away with that. It's, it's going to be fine. But the, there is a physical reaction in your body the fight or flight response. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. If you, uh, you can you can see it in your children very easily. They do something wrong. They're nervous. Uh oh, they get a look. They're having that physical response. That's what this is talking about. If you're not doing that, you're not having that physical response. The the cortisol or whatever it's called. I don't know all the name that your body is flooded with. That stuff isn't good for you, and it causes you to age early. It's a problem for you. Uh, Psalm 51, verses 8 through 10, talk about the, the physical effects that David was having from after his sin with Bathsheba and how not confessing his sin, not taking care of the issue, caused him to lose sleep at night, which is horrible for you. You know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, not trying to give you medical advice, but if you want to feel better, get a better night's sleep. Uh, sin can keep you from having a good night's sleep. It causes physical problems for you. Instead, we can live for the Lord, internalize his word, live it out in our daily lives, and we can have peace in our lives. Philippians 4 for rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. See, there's these concepts are so intertwined. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. If you're, if you're haughty, think you've got all the answers, go around like a bull in a china shop. Is, is that a gentle spirit? No, of course not. If you think 
less of yourself, have more confidence in the Lord, guess what? His spirit is rather gentle in dealing with individuals. That will come out in you. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Don't we need to know that today? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You do these things, this is a promise. Let your gentle spirit be known to people around you. Understand the Lord is near. Don't be anxious for anything. Instead, pray. Uh, be thankful to the Lord. Let Him know your requests. Hand things over to Him to take care of for you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise from uh, the Lord and very different from Psalm 51, 8 through 10 that we don't have time to read this morning. Which one do you want? Peace that passes all understanding or debilitating effects of sin? No sleep terrible relationships with your wife, your husband, your kids, your dad, whatever. I would take the peace personally. So have no confidence in yourself and also have no confidence in your money is the next uh, point that we'll get to here quickly this morning. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce and here it comes, uh, a word of faith folks out there. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I come to think of it, we're probably not going to have time to get through all of this today. But we'll, uh, we'll begin anyway. We'll get the general overview. Here's, here's all the answers for you. Honor the Lord from your wealth. That is an imperative. That's a command there. We don't really see it in, in the English reading of it, but Hebrew is just like Greek. They have particular endings on the words and spellings of the words, this kind of thing, to indicate what part of speech it is for us. And this is a command to the audience. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Notice that it says from your wealth there. I have that highlighted. Uh, again, just like I'm not a doctor, I'm also not a financial advisor. You don't want financial advice from me, but, uh, but I am the pastor of the church. And, uh, it says from your wealth. If you, and we'll get to principles for giving in the church down there at the bottom. If you are a person who finds yourself in overwhelmed with debt and this kind of thing, Take care of that before you are uh, feel like you are burdened to to give to the church. This is just one one passage, but it, it's very clear there. Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first fruits. It says there, and that is very Jewish language uh, in this passage. Remember, this is written by Solomon. He was a Jewish 
person. And this is one of the one of the passages that we can kind of get ourselves into trouble if we do just throw the old dart at the dartboard for our Bible passage and we come to this <laughs> and it hits on Proverbs 3, 9, uh, 9 and 10. You got to understand the context of what is what is being said here. And that term first fruits ought to remind us that the Israelites were told to give primarily from their crops. It was an agricultural society, and they were told here, as well as many other places, that their tithe was primarily food, food for the priests to be able to eat. That was a large part of what they were giving. And they were to give from the first fruits, the, the, the beginning of the harvest. Before they took off what they wanted, they're to be giving to, uh, to the temple, to the nation, essentially. Uh, it kind of sounds like taxes, actually. And this is what, is what is being talked about here. But nevertheless, it is a, it is a command. And we're going to see that there is a benefit for the people of the nation of Israel if they would do this. And, and that's what is mentioned there in Proverbs 3.10. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is a promise made to the nation of Israel that is throughout the Old Testament. If they will be faithful to the Lord, particularly in this area of the tithe, another one is the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, yesterday. Today's not the Sabbath. Sabbath is on the last day of the week, which is Saturday. Sunday, the Lord's day is the first day of the week, not the Sabbath. <laughs> kind of like our box over there for giving. It's not a tithing box. It's a giving box. We aren't Israel. We are the church. And so this idea of Israel's tithe uh, tithe literally means a tenth. Where does this idea come from? Well, it kind of began with Abraham, if you'll remember, early in his life, at least in the Bible, in terms of the Bible anyway, Genesis 14. We're introduced to Abraham, Genesis 10, 11, in there. And then we start to get into his life, beginning in Genesis 12. Genesis 14, there's a war uh, Abraham is a wealthy person. He's got a, his own army, literally. And he goes and fights, finds Lot, takes him back and all his stuff. <laughs> That's why he was going to war over people and stuff. And Abraham got them both. And then he offered a gift, a one-time gift from his wealth that he took back to Melchizedek, the uh, priest in Jerusalem. And so we won't dive into, maybe someday when we study the book of Genesis, we'll dive into all the details. But quick overview, one-time gift. He wasn't commanded then, therefore, to travel back to Jerusalem every Saturday and give a tenth of everything he owned to Melchizedek. Nope. One-time gift to Melchizedek to show his respect to to him. Uh, that's kind of, Israel wasn't even a nation at that point in time. That came along later. 
And after the law is given from God to Moses, to the nation of Israel, we get the reason for the tithe. And we see that in Numbers 18 and verse 21, speaking of this tithe. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform the service of the tent meeting. The, Le- the Levites, of course, being the priests, they were not given a land inheritance, so they didn't have a place to grow crops, have sheep, and all of the things that go along with a farm. They didn't have any land to do that. So God instituted this program whereby they would receive goods from the rest of the people so that they could perform the priestly duties. That's the purpose of the tithe for the nation of Israel. And it's also a means of testing and blessing for Israel, not not for you and for me, for the nation of Israel. Malachi 3, 1 through 12. We'll do it. Malachi 3. This is where the prosperity gospel folks, one of the places where they get their idea that, oh, if you just... <laughs> it's, it's such blasphemy. It's unbelievable. We saw an example of it last night, actually, on our Saturday night entertainment, watching a YouTube video from one of these uh, guys, pastors... <laughs> Uh, asking their end-of-year giving drive. And if you will just uh, give me your money at the end of the year. We all like to do that. We all like to give at the end of the year. And if you'll just give it to me, the Lord's going to bless you. That's straight out of a, straight out of a misinterpretation of this particular passage, among several. But Malachi 3.1, Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Wouldn't it be great if people just kind of stopped right there or took that into into the context of this passage. The Lord is going to come and he is going to judge and who is going to be able to stand before him. I guarantee if you're haughty in spirit and these kinds of things, you're not going to be able to stand when the Lord comes. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness Then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. Notice the sequence of events there. The Lord's going to come. He's going to purify the people. And then their gift will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages. There's a good one for Washington, D.C. to pay attention to. The widow and the orphan and those who turn aside, the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. 
From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man of God, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse and you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And that it is amazing to me that people in the church age will now take these verses and apply them to the church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Can anybody show me how this applies to us in the church age today? The tithe was for the nation of Israel. We are not a nation. The church is not a nation. We are made up of Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. We are not a nation with the land promise like Israel is. We don't have priests who don't own land and these kinds of things. Very clear from the context. And I just wish that the prosperity gospel folks would take into account those lead-in verses about God being a judge for us before we get to the bringing in the whole tithe and these kinds of things. This is a promise to the nation of Israel, to Israelites. If you will honor the Lord with your wealth, then he will bless you. It's a means of testing for Israel, and that's what Solomon is reminding his audience, Israelites, of. And it, it is, but nevertheless, it is still a principle for us today to honor the Lord with our money. So, how does that apply for us? And I am over time, so bam, cliffhanger. You'll have to come back next week to see how this applies for giving. In the church age, we will stop right there. Have no confidence in yourself or in your money if you want to live for the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the incredible practicality of it in our lives. And I just pray that you would help us to trust in you more, trust in ourselves less, as we go about our lives. And I just pray you'd be with our service to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.